How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. I'm going to talk about things that get in the way of emotional regulation with kids. And I'm going to discuss three things that I have seen as practice in families that can get in the way if they're not there. Um, but before I talk about those, we all kids emotionally dysregulate at times. And again, every time I say kids, I always think and kind of laugh to myself, all people emotionally dysregulate at times. Um, it happens more frequently in, with kids generally because they're learning how to manage their big emotions. But there are some things that make regulation harder in general. Before I go into things that we really do have some control over, there are some things that make emotional regulation really difficult for kids or people that we don't really have control over. And so I want to take a minute and just say, if you have a child who has physical or mental delays or disabilities, emotional regulation is, of course, going to look very different in your home and with your child. And you are not only going to need tactics for yourself in terms of how you regulate and contain the emotional dysregulation times, you're also going to need to work with the professionals that are working with you to understand your child's delays or disabilities that are very unique and specific to you. Additionally, if your child has a history of trauma or a background um, of issues, including things like um, adoption or um, family disruption when they're younger, or even early medical trauma that may leave some lasting trauma issues in their lives, there can be some dysregulation issues with that too. And you may need additional support and tools to practice this with your kids. Um, if that's your situation, I highly suggest trust-based relational intervention. Um, a little bit of information about my family. Both my children were in foster care before we adopted them. And we trained in trust-based relational intervention before we adopted. And it's one of the best things that we ever did. Um, we still really honor and are so thankful for that process because it helped us gain skills that we needed as we were getting started in building our family. Another situation that is going to always get in the way of emotional regulation in your house and teaching your kids is if one or both parents struggle with dysregulation and have a hard time managing their own emotions, especially if they are doing things that are damaging. If there is any type of abusive behavior, and that includes um, verbal and mental or psychological abuse going on in the home, um, or if it's just dysregulating and... Um, and, and doing things that may not be harmful to the kids or the family, but that aren't productive, they're going to see that being modeled and they're going to pick up on that more so than what's being said. You can't say something enough that kids are going to choose to follow that over what they, what they see and experience. So if one or both parents are in the home and are not able to regulate well, we have to get help and we have to get support for that. So counseling, accountability, the types of things that you need to reach out for and talk to somebody about your own struggle or your, your spouse or older child, maybe somebody else in the home who is part of your family and that the kids may be seeing. Another thing like 
these big changes like divorce, a move, death of a family member, that type of thing can really influence emotional regulation and a kid's ability to stay regulated. You're not just dealing with normalcy in the house um, at that point. We have to understand these things outside of general conversations about emotional regulation. Now, all of the things that I'm teaching here absolutely will make a difference in these situations too. I've geared everything that I teach to be overarching in a way that it should be at least helpful and there should be some tools that every family can use regardless of what stage or age their kids or their family is. But in these situations where you've got some of these bigger things going on, you're also going to need additional support and help. Um, Listening to this podcast, reading, all those things are great and they're going to support you in your effort. But if you don't get more support, you're not going to see the outcomes that you want. Um, and, and everybody's going to struggle from that. But there are some other things that can get in the way of fostering healthy regulation in your family too. And I'm going to unpack three of those in this episode um, that, that can be disruptive to this process in and of themselves. Emotional language and the acceptance of emotional language in a family has to be there for regulation to happen. People have to be able to talk about what's going on in them. Um, Some adults that I hear, they may struggle with this because they were raised in families where, you know, the unspoken or sometimes spoken rule was, it doesn't matter what you feel, you're the child and your feelings don't matter. And a lot of times I hear parents say, I don't believe that, but I really don't give the space that I need to my kids' emotions either. I have a hard time prioritizing those because they've just never been a big deal um, in terms of solving problems in the family. Or I'll find that, you know, that person who maybe was raised in a family where emotions weren't at the center point, they don't have a lot of emotional vocabulary themselves, so they don't feel prepared or able to teach their kids an emotional vocabulary. Emotional vocabularies have to be developed And it's one of the tools that, again, I used so frequently with families was helping everyone start getting on the same page about practicing emotional language. Having emotional language is is something that it comes out of what we we call insight. Dan Siegel talks about this a lot as he discusses um, the brain and human connection that as healthy adults have to have insight and be able to look inside of themselves identify what's going on and put language to it to pull it out so that other people can connect to it. Well, the insight is being able to go inside and look and see what's going on. And there are people who struggle even with that. Um, And if you're someone who struggles with that, I would encourage you to seek a counselor and talk to someone about it because the better you get at it, the better you can teach your children. However, once even we know what's going on, being able to put language to it is a separate skill in and of itself. You can't just know what's happening inside of you. You've got to be able to put language to it. And a lot of times that's feeling language. I've mentioned several times during this series about the family norm episode on developing emotional language or feeling vocabularies in a family as a norm and just a mode of functioning for families. I'm going to say it again and encourage you to go back to that one if you haven't heard it and if you struggle with emotional language or if this is something you could incorporate in your family. In that episode description, I even have a link to a great feeling wheel that I share with people. We use it in our home um, and and use that with my children to help them identify feelings of what's going on so that they can accurately label them. 
But the more comfortable people are with talking about feelings and the more practiced we are, the easier it is to ex- to access those when we're dysregulated. If we already struggle with it and then we're also dysregulated, accessing that is almost impossible. So it just builds bridges that are helpful in those moments. The second thing that can get in the way is too much screen time. This is something that is very well documented in literature, very, very much studied right now. The more we understand and learn about the brain in general, the more we understand how technology engaging with the brain can be both helpful and harmful. With kids especially, screen time can really damage and change their ability to connect and regulate themselves. Now, I want to be really clear that there is, there are differences in screen time. The activities that they're doing on screen does make a difference in what the result is. I wish I could do um, episodes and episodes on this, but there's not the time. So I'll try to break it down and give just a few very specific pieces of information. And I encourage you to chase after your own information on this um, if you're interested in it. Things like video games and apps on phones and other types of um, even what would seem like harmless games or harmless things for kids to play and do. The way that they're designed now versus what they were even when when you or I were children is drastically different, especially in terms of the way that we can engage actively with players and games and manipulate their decisions and abilities. Games nowadays are so um, targeted to hit the pleasure center of people's brains and give them quick, fast rewards so that they continue to play. I was reading an article um, not too long ago. Uh, really, it was when my son was asking to to play Fortnite when he was younger. It was a couple years ago. And so I started reading about the, the game Fortnite. Um, and if you let your kids play Fortnite, totally fine. No problem. Again, we're all individual and our kids have their own individual things. And I was trying to decide if this might be a good idea for him to play or not. But one of the things that I read about is that the creators of Fortnite... We're on the cutting edge of keeping people engaged in playing. And they were making constant changes to that game in real time and collecting data on at what points and what places people would give up and stop playing the game. And they were making changes so fast to keep people playing and they were seeing the results of that. And it was while Fortnite was just blowing up and it seemed like everyone was playing. What's interesting is that depending on the child, and this is not every single child, but a lot of kids, especially if they have any issues regulating, when our when the part of our brain that seeks pleasure is getting a hit too often, it really is interesting in the way that it changes how we experience pleasure in other things. Um, and it's very similar to how alcohol and drugs work. When someone uses drugs or alcohol to handle hard stuff or to kind of escape from difficult things in life, it is a very quick hit to their pleasure center in life, especially certain drugs that act very quickly that get you away from it. And the brain gets used to that and it desires it. It desires fast response and it desires things to happen immediately and for us to like what is going on. And it changes uh, the way that our brain expects to experience everything else. 
So what we find is that a lot of kids who play a lot of video games, especially the ones who, that are um, that are that repetitive and that are that centered on getting people to keep playing, they become addictive, but not just in the way that you think of traditional addictions. We understand the addiction process to say you want more of the same thing. But another thing that we don't talk about as often is that in someone who has an addiction to something, their entire structure of their expectation for how life happens for them and how they get what they want uh, tends to shift too. They tend to be more demanding, have less patience, and have less tolerance for not getting what they want. And so by pro- as a byproduct, kids who are on screens a lot and their brain is actively engaging and being stimulated quickly, regularly, and with pleasure leave the video gaming or screen world and go into a world that is not fast, that's not constantly rewarding them for the things that they do. And they have unrealistic expectations for even what things like hard work looks like and waiting on results for something and um, and people saying no. And it can make it more difficult. They tend to dysregulate quicker and more often. So because our brains love stimulation, kids crave it. And they are drawn to it, especially if they have a penchant for it and are really interested in it. And so as the parents, we have to regulate that for our kids. Um, and I, it's, it's one of the things, even beyond just regulation, that I um, struggle with, with parents. And so I encourage you, if your kid is old enough to have a smartphone, Um, If your children have smartphones of watching what they're doing on it, what they have access to on it and how often they're staying on it, because this happens very quickly and um, the things that they can get connected to online or that they can get used to using. It's beyond even just um, explicit material online or things like that. It's just the whole process in and of itself. So I encourage you to look at your regulation expectations for your kids and screens um, and how you're practicing it now and look if there needs to be a adjustments to that. The last one that I'll talk about that can get in the way is if a kid struggles to be able to set goals, meet goals, and see the big picture in things. Kids are not designed from the start of being good goal setters. We all know this. Kids want what they want right when they want it. Um, and so they have a hard time and have to be taught how to set a goal, how to determine the steps to get that goal, and then how to reach it. That's a process that we as parents have to be engaged and connected with our kids on to actively teach them, or they struggle and they have to learn it later in life um, when they're much older and maybe they've had some, you know, goals that weren't reached or things that they weren't able to do because they weren't able to make those plans. How this connects to regulation is that a lot of times dysregulation happens when kids' expectations aren't met. So... They expect to get something and then it doesn't happen or they expect for things to go their way and it doesn't happen. But just setting the tone and helping kids learn how to set goals and say, if this is the goal that you want, here is how you can get it. So um, an example, I'll give you an example that even just happened today as I'm as I'm recording this episode. Um, My kids were teaching them how to work things out in between themselves. They're 11 and 13. So we're there. We should be right. And um, they are in the process of negotiating front seat rules because arguing about that I have no bandwidth for in my life. And so they know if they argue about the front seat, then they both just sit in the back together and that's super fun for them. Uh, Not at all. And so they are very motivated 
for to not have to sit in the back seat together because the only thing worse than sitting in the back seat by yourself right now is sitting in the back seat with your sibling. So this morning they were discussing rules about the rules that they had set for themselves and how if they were working or not working. And um, my son suggested changing the rule and my daughter immediately said no and explained why she liked the rule the way that it was and uh my son of course told her immediately his response was well you are being very self-centered because you just want it how you want it um i paused at that moment and said let me give you a little coaching on how to negotiate because if you call the other person self-centered it pretty much shuts them down right so they went back and forth i gave them a little coaching on this and by the time that it was that it was getting towards the end, my son had said, hey, I, I want us to fight less because I don't like getting in trouble for fighting and arguing. And so if we just make this schedule the way that I've suggested, there won't be any questions about it. And my daughter ended up realizing that one of her biggest goals right now is for them to fight less because less consequences, right? And so she said, well, even though I don't want to change it, I feel like this is what I want more after we had talked through it. I want this more that we're not going to fight as much. So I'll be willing to adjust and change. Well, in this, this is like this 1113 and it was very messy. I'm, I just shortened it, but I stopped them probably 12 times and said, let me coach you in this and explain how they should move forward. It was not that clean at all. But ultimately what it came down to is my daughter was able to connect the fact that his change, while it wasn't what she preferred, really aligned more with the goal that she had set for herself about them fighting less. They both have had that goal because they are tired of the consequences that come with them fighting. So they made the change in the rules earlier. This was helpful because they've got a little bit of practice with goal setting already and with knowing how to achieve the goals that they have. So it wouldn't have worked as well if they didn't have that already because you can't pull in abstract concepts that they don't really understand. So when she was still leaning towards, I don't wanna do it your way, I said, think about the goals that you have for the two of you. What are your main goals right now? Well, she was able to articulate that one because she is very close to it and familiar with it right now. Um, in the same way, it becomes part of what you can use when the child is actively dysregulating. So it may come down to, um, like I said in the second episode, when you understand that some of the dysregulation escalates and you see it start to escalate, I always go to goals with my kids if I start to see it escalating, especially if they're pushing back on me to say, hey, this is a goal you have. You have been invited to spend the night with Nani on Friday night. If this is the way we're going to handle things this week, you're not going to be allowed to go. Um, and so it connects to a goal that they have. And so instead of pushing back maybe about their chores or whatever the you know issue of the day is, then they can reevaluate that in light of goals and say, my goal is more important than what's going on right now. And that becomes an anchoring point for them to re-regulate and regulate themselves in that. But not having that connection at all or understanding at all leaves a gap there and you have a harder time um, helping them anchor it to something else that can help them regulate that. Here's the interesting part of this. We started, I started this episode by saying the things at the front part, um, issues that get in the way of dysregulation, like physical or mental disabilities or um, delays, tr history of trauma, those kinds of things. Our kids don't pick those, but the truth is our kids also don't pick these other three. Kids can't develop an emotional vocabulary by themselves. Kids are not designed to regulate anything. Their brain is not developed enough to have good regulation of any of their behaviors, really. 
And kids can't goal set by themselves. These are all things that have to be taught to them and guided by them. So they really are reliant on us and other adults in their lives to help make these connections and teach them and guide them through this process. So these are things that are practical. And while we may not discuss them every day, in the moments that we hear or see an opportunity to engage with our kids in these conversations, we can be proactively building this regulation snowball for them without it even being about regulation in the moment. And it's exciting for us because then we can pull it in and see it happen uh, in real time, see good things happen in real time as they're able to make these connections for themselves. In the next episode, I'm going to close out by talking about how to intervene during dysregulation and how to address in the moment when things are going um, out of sorts to bring them back to the place of regulation where we want them to be. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.